Hold on. Hit record. Now hit record. <laughs> now, damn it. All right. So, welcome yeah, that to big red weekly. Go ahead. Would you say, Chad? No, no. I was just saying that big red blinking light in the upper left hand corner is probably a key sign that we're recording. Is it smart ass? All right. So, <laughs> who do we have today, James? We have Tim Storms, who is a stunt man, uh, a martial artist, a a dancer, uh, a, and various other things. Uh, and has worked on some of my favorite things of all time from uh, Star Trek. Uh, I believe one of your first films was also Robin Hood Men in Tights with Mel Brooks. Uh, and uh, training on sp- the, some of the Spider-Man films, doing some stunt training as well, as well as uh, doing, I believe you still train for gymnastics and uh, different forms of martial arts, correct? Yes, sir. And that's so- the show. Nice meeting you. <laughs> it's good talking to you. This is amazing. Yeah. We don't want to take too much of your time. <laughs> well, sir, I would love to say you're our first stuntman ever on the show, but technically you're second. But we love talking to production folks, and we have been wanting to get a stuntman on the show for a long time, just simply because we admire so much of what you do. And if, if once upon a time in Hollywood has taught us anything, you guys were once the gods, correct? Oh, yeah. Once. Once. Um, no more. I don't mean that in a bad uh, at all. No, I still think you guys are amazing. But what is wrong with you that you will <laughs> How long is Joe? <laughs> now, Joe Lewis, what will, what will, what's wrong with you that you will throw yourself down a flight of stairs for money? Um... And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just no, I completely. I think there is just I just like who who would get in front of a stage or who would do this. There's there's something wrong with some of us, correct? And it's it's not a bad thing. It's what makes us interesting, and it's what makes you all fascinating to us. Is what is wrong with you? Because it, it literally is the most dangerous job in Hollywood. Chad's right. It can be. Uh, it, what is wrong with me? It's it's with as with other stunt performers, I, I grew up doing a lot of this stuff for free. So getting paid for it is actually make redeeming me. It's a redeeming quality now as, as opposed to a mental instability. Um, it's, it's, it all comes from your training and your background. Like I said, when I was a little kid, when I was four years old, my brother would put me on the swing set and, and see how many times he could wrap me around the bar. Right. And he would challenge me to, you know, how many, how many handstand pushups could I do? How many pull-ups could I do? How far could I jump off of things? I was doing crap like that, you know, since I was a little, little kid. And it wasn't that I was a daredevil. It was just, I like to push the boundaries and I like to see physically what I was able to do being a gymnast being a martial artist from very young, um, I knew my capabilities and I knew, you know, what I was able to do. And sometimes I figured it out very quickly what I wasn't able to do. But um, I think I've, I've always, I've always loved just experiencing the boundaries. And luckily I, I think I was smart enough and rational enough as a, as a kid to understand very quickly and to learn my lesson when something something was past my pay grade 
that I didn't want to do that again. But, uh, you know, knock on wood, I, I didn't get hurt as a kid that much. You know, I'd, I'd get bumps and bruises, but, you know, I was pretty, pretty durable. I'd fall out of trees and crawl home and cry a little bit, but, you know, I never, never broke any limbs of my own. And, you know, I, I fared, fared pretty well as a kid. So, you know, that's, that was the impetus for me. And then actually the, the, it seems like it's, it's a random thing, but as a gymnast, as a martial artist, the scientific part of the artistry is what has always fascinated me. I have always loved experimenting and seeing what I could do, you know, juggling. I, I, I became a circus clown at an early age. I always wanted to learn how to juggle more clubs and fire and knives and you know, I would always, I would always experiment and live a little bit on the edge, but then rein it in. You know, I was always working with weapons and, you know, stuff like that. So always figuring out scientifically what I was capable of. That was, that was always my, my driving impetus. It wasn't, hey, hold my beer, watch what I can do. You know, it was, it was never that for me. It was always yeah, I'm pretty sure I can do that. And I'm going to go for it. If I don't make it, I'm going to dial it down a notch. So that was always it. So you come from, and we, as I was doing research about you, you come from a theatrical background in, in Minnesota, correct? I do, yes. My whole family, I grew up, uh, I was actually quite a shy kid. So I, I was always backstage and I was always helping my dad. My dad all the, did all the technical uh, parts of theater and and um production um sound sound and lighting and all the stage things my mom on the other hand always did parts of uh the costumes and the artistry the painting and the sets and things like that so you know i would i would always move back and forth between those different things and then you know once i started getting a little more adept at at uh, the juggling and the martial arts and the gymnastics and putting it all together, I wanted to, you know, I needed an outlet. So still being a shy guy, that, uh, that really drove me to kind of perform a little bit. And then once I got in front of some really big crowds and, you know, really, you know, stuck my neck out for a little bit, I figured out it's not so bad. I didn't die. So I'm going to go for it again. That and was, then, and then you started once, once again, my driving impetus, living on the edge a little bit, you know? Right. And, and then I'm sure you started craving the attention, right? The applause. Really? It, definitely. Yes. Yeah, I, right. I, I was always a smart ass. Yeah. But it was always, you know, kind of from the back of the room when I was, when I was little, it was like, I would say a joke and people would laugh, but it, it was never, I wanted to get on stage immediately. And then, once I had, I was forced to get on stage, you know, giving speeches in, I remember specifically giving a speech in high school and I was scared to death. I was terrified. And I said a smart ass remark and everybody cracked up and I went, nice. Hey, I could, I could roll with this. And it, you know, I, that's, that kept me going. So. so did your parents do it professionally? Was this kind of community theater that they were doing that you started out in? I'm just curious. 
being in mostly community theater, but on and off, it was uh, high school, um, community, some some semi-professional productions around. Okay. You know, there there weren't many, but. There, there were a lot of opportunities. There were, you know, there were always stages and venues to, to find for me. Okay. I'm just curious, based on what you're telling, because I want to go back into your career real quick, because you're saying all this, and I'm, I'm, it's, it's kind of answering the question for me. But going through your list of all of your career, uh, not only, uh, and we're, I'm sure James will ask for a Mel Brooks story uh, here momentarily, but. I want to skip after Mel Brooks and go, you all, you did voice work one time for Bruno the Kid. <laughs> was that just, did, did you, was it, was it just because, you know, oh, I'm not going to be in an audio booth? Because I was just, I was like, one time you did audio uh, voiceover work, or you, you did some video games too, but it looks like for the most part, you stuck to that one video, that one voiceover work for a cartoon. I'm like, and then it just ventured off into full, full-blown stunt work and other actors. Yeah, I, I tend to get scattered that way. And, and um, I, yeah, that was, I, I had done a couple of things before that voice work, but that really, it was at a, a, a friend of mine was actually producing that show. And uh, I, I wasn't prepared for that because he had, he had seen me on stage and he, Love the kid. Um, I was doing a lot of uh, improv and Shakespearean theater at the time, and um, he just—he really wanted to get me on a show. And he was—he was the producer. He brought me in, um, and I said, "Where's the day before?" He said, "We'll send over the script." And I never got the script, and I was going—I'm <laughs> kind of nervous. I, I don't really know what I'm in for here, but okay, I'll go for it. And. And then, you know, late at night, I called him and he said, oh, don't worry, just come in and look at it tomorrow. I went in, I looked at the script. And as I'm looking at the script, all of a sudden, I, I look up and I see Dave Coulier and I see, you know, uh, I can't even name the guys. Every one of them I knew were the very echelon, top echelon of voiceover actors at the time, you know. You, right. And I... It was intimidating. And then the capper of that was Mark Hamill. Luke Skywalker walked in the door. And I went, okay, uh, are you visiting? He went, no, I'm playing a character. So it was, it was pretty intimidating, my first shot. I'm actually getting back into that realm because I love doing voiceover work. Oh, great. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, at the, at the time, it was a very specialized uh very small group of people and if you mm -hmm. weren't doing that completely uh you weren't you weren't in in the room you know you weren't working on shows at that time so it was it was a little too much pressure at the time and i had way too much stuff going on like i said i was doing shakespearean theater at the time i was doing a lot of different things so it, uh, I was quite busy and I knew just to dedicate all my time to that wouldn't have worked. Now I've got a great setup in my own apartment here and I can, you know, work on it. So if anybody's got jobs, send them my way. Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say, cause it was, it must've been intimidating going into a room, you know, you're just starting out and not only do you have the late great Tony J who, you know, 
in my in my exactly. in my opinion is an is an icon right. in not only animation history but television and movie history as well. And then Mark Hamill, uh, yes. you know, yes. So yeah, I was just kind of curious because it was this one time I'm like, there has it to was, be a story I, there. I was, I was sweating bullets, and in that realm, it was you know nowadays they get celebrities to, celebrities to do a lot of voiceover right. stuff, and a lot of people that aren't trained actually get voiceover work as well but in those days it was you know you had to be on your game and and they, it, i did my first character and they really liked it uh i got into my second character which i think was a fighter pilot so i thought you know i roger like this and the, the director went no 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 it's too muffled so i went uh roger they, no it's too muffled <laughs> one more time roger that and the director went okay we'll go back to that and i knew <laughs> Three times and you're out. Three strikes. Yeah. But they, they still had me do a couple other characters as well. So I was doing, I was filling in, which was great. And I made it in uh, into the final take with several of the voices. So it was good. That's awesome. Fun experience. But yeah. So I always <laughs> ask this question for a lot of people, specifically if you're from, not from LA, you know, if you're from the Midwest, from Minnesota. So when you graduated, what, what did you do? Did you go right out to LA? Can you tell a little bit about that story? No, actually, before I even graduated, I was doing uh, summer theater, outdoor drama out in Ohio, a huge production, which is as close as you can get to making movies on stage. It's a, uh, I think it's a 4,000 seat theater, live horses, live cannons, stunts i would do high falls off of a 35 foot clip um yeah southern ohio it's an amazing show historical drama about native americans tecumseh the the, uh the indian chief who uh shawnee chief who basically ruled the all the the nations but um i did that for five summers and i did a lot of I learned stunt work out there. Not not learned stunt work, but I got to choreograph a lot of the fights. I did high falls. I was falling probably a couple of miles every summer because I would do backstage tours and do a, you know, five or six falls every single day. Uh, it was just so I did that even before I graduated. Uh, they called me back out, so I was playing major characters in that. I got my equity card out there for theater. Um, and then, uh, at, at the end of that, I, I, when I went back to Minnesota, I'd actually arranged a couple of shows already. And I went on tour with, uh, what was it? Uh, Nebraska. Uh, it was a, a, uh, theater in Nebraska that toured around Nebraska theater caravan. And I did, uh, two and a half months of a Christmas Carol, which was also a huge production and, you know, taught me a lot about uh traveling shows and stuff like that so I, I got experience very quickly who did you play in the uh, christmas carol everything I, I i was brought in late uh and i had to understudy every single role in the show including the females so i i had to be prepared i only had to go on once or twice but then i would play random characters but uh, i had to understudy everybody so i had to know the whole script and sing the same Christmas carols night after night after night. 
nine after nine. Yeah, I can't so, imagine. Yeah. So after that, you just moved. Yeah. That's when you transitioned to LA? Uh, no, I went back to Minnesota. Uh, I started doing, uh, I started uh, teaching yeah. and directing uh, local high school productions and semi-professional productions and auditioning for regional theaters and stuff like that. So I did a lot of regional theater, uh, which was great. Um, some really nice characters that, you know, I had just, like I said, gotten my equity card. So I was able to really expand my, my repertoire and, and play a lot of characters that I might not be able to play if had I gone to Broadway or places like that. So the regional theaters were really great for me. Plus I was directing some really amazing high school productions, um, at that time. So it was, it was great. The pay was good, but still in the same vein, I stayed there for about a year and a half. Uh -huh. And then the yearning for Hollywood came back to me. I had visited a friend out here once and I just had wanted to come back so badly. So I took a dive again and I came back out and, you know, drove out and maybe, maybe with 200 bucks in my pocket and Luckily, I had a great support system. Yeah, with with a couple of friends that I got to stay with, and uh, some good connections. And the immediately the the first day I got out here, I I went to a gymnastics school, which I had been coaching gymnastics, you know, on and off for several years. And I got a job immediately the first day, and I was teaching, so I was making money, which was great, and it was a big relief that I could support myself. All right, cool. I just, I just always, always fascinated about how people make the transition. So anyway, sorry. Next question, please. Oh, I was actually going to ask as, as Chad forewarned, how did you end up in Robin Hood men in tots as, as one of the merry men in a dance scene? And it is your first credit on IMDb. Uh, it is. Um, I wasn't actually in the dance scene and I was quite oh, angry really? about that. Yeah. Back in the day, it, they still have it, but backstage was the big publication, um, that actors would look at to everything's online now. So it's quite easy, but it, you would go to Seven Eleven and pick up backstage every, every week and look at the, the breakdowns of shows that were casting it said open call for, they didn't even say what it was. Uh, I think it said Robin Hood. It didn't say it was Mel Brooks or anything like that, as far as I remember. But I went to this open call. It was around the block uh, line at, at uh, Warner Hollywood Studios. So I stood in line for like an hour. I went inside, they had stations. They said, do you know how to do any stage fighting? And I said, yeah, I've been teaching it for many, many years already. So I did a, a fight combination for them. They were pretty impressed with that. They said, do you know how to do any? I went to the next station. Can you do any tumbling? So I did a tumbling pass. They went, wow, okay. Uh, they said, uh, can, you, can you do any, any other skills? Uh, so I went to the next station and uh, I did uh, some hand balancing. I did some other uh, fight stuff. Um, I was walking out the door and they said, we're definitely going to be calling you. And I went, okay, great. They said, how'd you do on the archery? And I said, I, I don't have a bow, but 
they said, they, okay, there's, there's a bow over there. Go, go pick that up. And I went over and there was a tiny, tiny little bow. I think it was a junior bow. And I'd actually learned archery from Native Americans, both out in Ohio and as a kid. Uh, I, I spent a couple summers on Chippewa in the Indian reservations up in northern Minnesota due awesome. to my, my dad. Yeah. So I learned pretty good archery at the time. Um, I went over and I took that little bow and I shot four bullseyes and they were really impressed. So then I went back the next day because there was another call for jugglers and, and uh, unicyclists and things like that, uh, secondary acts. And I did all that stuff. So they said, I waited, I waited, I waited. And I went, they said they were going to call me. I waited about a month and a half, nothing. And I was just so frustrated. And then I get a call and they said, you, we want to cast you as a merry man. And I went, great, awesome. When do I show up? And they told me the date. Five minutes later, I get a call from the same casting agency. Another person saying, we want to cast you as one of the King's guards. And I went, hold on a second. I just got cast as a merry man. They said, you can choose them. And I said, what's going to get, have more screen time? They said, the merry man. So that's what I picked. So they basically let me cast myself in, into that part, which was awesome. It was still, in, in the beginning, it was considered a featured extra kind of thing. But as the production went on, a lot of things happened. And, and Mel liked me. And uh, you know, they started turning the camera on me when I, when I would do things. And then Mel started giving me little bits to do. And then it just snowballed from there. So I made it in quite a bit of the movie, which was fun. Fantastic. So what's Mel? I, yeah. I, I can, I've got an idea of what Mel's like, but so what's your best Mel story? Anything crazy, any kind of what you got, what's your best Mel story? Or experience? Uh, Mel, uh, he was awesome to work with. I was such a huge fan. Um, there was a, uh, we were, the part where we're watching uh, Robin Hood uh, serenade Maid Marian, uh, we're, we're sitting by a campfire and Mel comes up to me the first day we're doing that and he has popcorn on a stick, I think. And he, by then he he'd already liked what i'd done and he comes up to me particularly he says is this funny i went yeah i think it's hilarious so that made it in the movie and then uh during that scene we're all sitting there watching and uh i'm sure everybody knows by now uh robin gets a little excited and his sword pops up yep and behind the screen everybody thinks it's something different so uh during that the first day I started doing this little dance back and forth because I was in musical theater and, and uh, the first, first AD comes up and he says, don't, don't do that. And I went, I was just getting into character. The next day they turned it around and uh, the first day it was behind us. And the second day it was shooting on us. And uh, Mel comes up and he says, do what Tim was doing yesterday. Everybody do this. So everybody starts, that made it in as a bit, you know, things like that would just snowball when I would just do something stupid and it, it made it in the movie and Mel liked it. And so it's, he sounds like there's someone who collaborates. 
He really did. Yeah. It's, I mean, he could be a very particular if somebody made a mistake you would definitely know it and a lot of swearing would go on and you know <laughs> fear, for, fear for your job yeah but, uh, i'm sure you're afraid for your job but I, even if he's angry and cursing i think it would still make me smile slightly and i don't oh, know that definitely yeah, yeah. and there were like i said there were there were times where he would you know, a lot, a lot of times it didn't even make it in the movie. He actually gave me a couple of lines when he's the, the moil, you know, and he, he, he told me to say stuff and then it didn't make it in the movie. He gave me a whole bunch of bits, you know, after the sword fight. There's, there's a part where, like I said, I was just hired as a featured extra. Uh, there were legitimate stuntmen who had been hired by the stunt coordinator. They had big metal swords and big metal pikes and all these big metal weapons. And we had this big battle scene and, and they said, Tim, come over here. We want you to run through. Here's your sword. They gave me a rubber sword. It was, you know, a soft sword. And uh, we want you to weave your way through there. So I first, first time I did that, but then I, I grabbed this other guy who I had been teaching and I taught him a quick fight. And, and uh, we ran out in the middle and we did this little sword fight and then we ran through. And lo and behold, the camera stopped on us and it made it in the movie. So, <laughs> you know, it was very strange. I feel like I'm taking it up from the rest of the guys, but I've got to ask because you worked with maybe my all-time favorite director in his best film. Of course, I'm going to talk about Sam Raimi, and I'm actually going to say a simple plan. I loved Sam Raimi. Uh, but yes, I've worked with Sam on a couple of movies. I know Spider-Man, but, but I, I think it is my, I, of course, just if you're of a certain age and you're geeky, Evil Dead is, I, I could transition this, this whole basement filled with, uh, movie memorabilia, but of course he's a God, he and John Carpenter and a few other folks to me, and oh, I've yeah. never got to meet Sam, but his best film to me is A Simple Plan. Brilliant. I don't think enough yeah. people know about it, have seen it. Uh, it. It's also based on a great book. But anyway, so please, how did you get it to was, Sam? It, tell me a little bit about it, if you don't mind. No, Simple Plan was the hottest property at the time. Everybody in Hollywood was vying for it. I hadn't read the book, but I'd heard, you know, the buzz. Um, actually, the way I met Sam was I was teaching gymnastics, and I was uh, teaching at a birthday party, and I did a, a I, I liked to do live shows. So I would uh, perform as characters. And one day I showed up as Spider-Man for this birthday party. And Sam's wife, a beautiful woman, uh, came up and started talking to me. And I, you know, she, she told me her name. And uh, I said, wow, you have the same last name as one of my favorite directors, Sam Raimi. She went, I'm his wife. <laughs> I went, okay. And then she said, could you come over to our house on Halloween in costume and say hi to Sam? And I went, uh, okay. I knocked on Sam Raimi's door and he answered the door and we sat in his living room for about three hours talking movies and I'm dressed as Spider-Man. And this is before, so our audience knows, A Simple Plan came out before Spider-Man. This is well before he got to make Spider-Man. Oh yes, I was. I'd been a Spider-Man fan since 
I, I actually sent an audition tape to, to James Cameron years before when he was supposed uh -huh. to direct. So I was in Spider-Man has always been my favorite superhero. So I was, I had my own costume commissioned and I had, you know, it was it, before state of the art, before, you know, you could buy them online and everything. I had somebody make me one for these birthday parties. So yeah, it was before that. And I was just in awe of sitting there talking to Sam Raimi about stuff and his wife would walk through and go, Sam, you have to put him in your next movie. And I'd be going, no, don't, don't ruin it for me. And, <laughs> and he would go, yeah, yeah, I have this coming up, this coming up. He's not right for that. He's not right for that, but we'll get him in something. And then um, like another month went by uh, and uh, all of a sudden I got a call from Sam's wife and she said, Sam wants you to audition for a simple plan. And I said, okay, so they sent over, uh, they were gonna send over the script. Once again, the delivery person couldn't get the script in my hand, so I didn't have a script. And I, I said, okay, I'll just, you know, show up to the audition tomorrow. And his wife called me back up and said, no, Sam wants you to come over to the studio right now and audition for him. So I drove to, I think it was uh, Universal at the time, mm -hmm. and went into Sam's office and auditioned for Sam in person. He read me as, uh, I think, one of the FBI guys. Uh, there were a couple of FBI yeah. agents in there. Uh, I didn't get that because there were major, major players up for that. But he actually cast me as Billy Bob Thornton's drinking buddy. Mm -hmm. So I was quite thrilled with that. And then it was the, the topper of that was, I said, where are you filming? They said, Minnesota. <laughs> okay, I'm going on vacation too. I'm going to visit my family because I'm from Minnesota. So I got, to, I got a treat of spending a couple days with my family. Uh, went up there in the middle of winter. Got to hang out with Sam, his family, um, and uh, Bill Paxton, which he was amazing at the time. So Bill Paxton and I, we were waiting for the next scene. So we got to sit in a booth and I got to rap with Bill Paxton, of all people, who was just awesome. Um, it, it, that was really, really fun. In the end, uh, things didn't go well for that scene. There were too many things going on. Billy Bob Thornton didn't like the scene. Uh, he was quite irate on that day and actually left the set. Really? On, yeah. It, it, there were just too many, way too many technical things going wrong. And uh, they kept pulling people out of the scene because it wasn't working. It wasn't working. And it, Billy Bob's idea was much more intimate. And finally, it came down to just me and Billy Bob and the bartender. And we shot it that way. And... Um, then, then I got back here to, to LA. His, uh, I talked to Sam a couple weeks later and they said the footage didn't work out. So, and then looking at that scene, there's really no dialogue at all in the scene. It's just Billy Bob contemplating, talking about stuff. So it's, it, I got cut editing floor, which happens quite often, but I still have a credit at the end, which is amazing. Yeah, and you got to work with one of your heroes, and you got to share a scene, and you have a Billy Bob story. 
I do. Yes. So how was he to work with is, I mean, I know he can be eccentric. Um, is it a prima donna thing or is he a perfectionist? I, I couldn't tell. It was, it was, um, he, he erupted. He, he started swearing at one of the grips, you know, and he, he walked off set, took several hours to get him back. So I, I hadn't seen what was going on. I knew that I'd seen the scene before where Bill Paxson is pushing him down again and again and again into a snowbank. Uh-huh. So that might have been the impetus that actually right. triggered him. And who knows what went on in other scenes and, you know, whether he was getting his way or not. I, I can't really say, although on the day it looked like a prima donna kind of thing. But in the movie itself, you know, I was impressed and I've always been impressed with his acting ability. And He's a fantastic actor. It doesn't mean he's any less of an asshole, right? Sure. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I, I've um, I've never met him. Known people who have I've heard both sides. You know, yeah. so it could be a perfectionist artist thing, or it could, or it's a combination of everything above. And or someone's having a bad day. Yeah. And when you're famous <laughs> and you have a bad day, it's much more memorable for folks. Yep. yep. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. great. So you were able to continue a relationship and work on another Sam Raimi movie. I was. It was incredible because yeah, I. I don't know what the time period was after that, but it had to be a year or two. That's about six uh, years, actually. Six years between? Is nine. Um, no, no, no. The, the first one, though, uh, Spider-Man One. Yep. I was I was slated to do that. Uh, once again, I got a call from Sam's wife. It was after he had done uh, the Ring or the. Some of the, I, I don't know which movie he he had done, but a horror movie uh, after um, was it a one simple he, plan. Was it the one he produced? No, it doesn't matter. Oh, I think he was directing. Okay. I'm not sure, but okay. I got a call saying Sam just got the contract for Spider-Man, uh, and he wants you to to do some stuff on it. Now I, I said I'll put together a tape. I put together a huge audition tape uh of me as spider-man uh sam loved it he and i went through it three or four times we and this was back in vhs time so editing was click you know yeah you couldn't put things together like like you can nowadays so it was but i was i put together this whole thing i brought in stunt friends and i i actually hung myself upside down and uh you know i i i think you got that that kissing scene from me when spidey's hanging upside down <laughs> spider-man one but i was slated to play spider-man as you know and toby was going to be uh peter uh it <laughs> i love the way you phrased it by the way <laughs> well it, he didn't really want to be in the suit that much uh-huh. ever but um what I was told, we, we said, they told me we're gearing up for this. And, and I got a call a couple of weeks later saying uh, uh, he's leaned out too much. He doesn't have enough muscle on him. He's dieted down too much. So we have to push back a little bit, probably about three weeks for him to bulk up a little bit because he's not big enough yet. I think there were contract problems going on at the time, actually. But I don't know. Always that. money. Yep. 
So, and that happened two or three times. I, I, they would call me and they would say, we're pushing back, we're pushing back. Uh, so finally, in the end, it had pushed back about six months, I believe. By the end of that, they had hired a stunt coordinator and the stunt coordinator called me up and uh, said, we're gonna be using my guy for almost all the Spidey stuff you could fill in if you want. And I went, okay. Um, by that time, I'd already, I'd already been offered uh, another big movie, really nice movie, uh, Swordfish, which I was right. thrilled to do. And um, so I passed on the Spider-Man thing and, and it all worked out. So that was the first Spider-Man that I was slated to be in, but wasn't, once again. So how I have, much, a, I have a gigantic resume based on what I haven't done in Hollywood. No, well, we're all that way. We're all that way it, when you go through our lives. So how much would you have been, how much was Toby actually ever in the suit? On the first one, I have no idea. I wasn't there. Well, I'm on the just, second one? Yeah. On the second one, the one where I trained him, I trained him specifically in number two, and I played uh, the chainsaw doctor in the, the surgery scene. Which, if you're a Sam Raimi fan, that's yeah. the scene you want to be, because that is nothing but Sam Raimi, that whole scene. Because mm -hmm. why would there be a stainless steel chainsaw in a surgery Yeah, he, he said, I'm putting a chainsaw in your hand. I went, okay, I'm on board, yes. And, <laughs> By this time, the stunt coordinator on that show was a friend of mine, and I'd already worked with him on several productions, so he knew what I could do. So he brought me on board first to train Toby and uh, the Spider-Man doubles to get them all working in sync, to teach them wire work, to teach them gymnastics, trampolining, stuff like that. Uh, in the meantime, then, then uh, he told Sam that I was on board doing that, uh, his name was Dan Bradley. I don't want to leave him out because he was a gigantic influence in my life when it comes to the stunt world. He gave me my biggest breaks on many, many films. And he was a brilliant, he is a brilliant uh, stunt coordinator, uh, director, second unit director, brilliant movie maker, and brilliant stunt man. Uh, he gave me so many breaks. He brought me into that situation and then Sam went, yeah, we're going to put you in this scene, which was fantastic. Um, so getting back to the original question, Toby didn't want to be in the suit that often because he had a bad back. And wow. yeah, and um, it was it was pretty rigorous. And it, it Every time you're in the suit, it pretty much required a stunt or being on a wire, which mm -hmm. is not the most comfortable thing. Or, you know, just it, it, just having those suits is, it, it's, people don't realize how uncomfortable things like that really are. Even though it's, you know, once you get in one of those suits, you're like, I'm Spider-Man, you know? It, it's amazing. But, um you know, Chris Daniels was was Spider-Man in Spider-Man 2. He did almost all the suit work. There were secondary people uh, in number one and uh, number two that would be in the suit. If you need somebody to do a particular move or you're doing double units, which we quite often did, or triple units even, 
somebody would be playing Spider-Man over here while somebody was playing Spider-Man over here while Toby was doing his right scene work over here. So it, you know, there was a lot of double up and triple up stuff like that. So once again, is it really the bad back? Is it a prima donna thing? Just not being comfortable, not wanting to be in a suit? Um, I, I, I hope Toby's not watching this, but. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead. If you don't feel comfortable answering the question, I'm just curious because I, I think most people are watching. I'm like, oh, except for the CGI spotties, you kind of assume Toby's in the suit, but. I think he, he I, I don't want to say prima donna because I come from an acting background where my first five years out here, I was refusing to do film and and commercials and stuff. I was, oh, I'm a Shakespearean theater actor. And so I'll just do that for no money. Uh -huh. uh, so I understand. And I, I really think it stemmed from him just wanting to be the face of Peter Parker and not being a gigantic fan of Spider-Man himself, but seeing Peter Parker as the amazing character. Mm -hmm. And I really think it stemmed from that, even though being uh, his trainer, uh, I, I, you know, and being a stuntman, it was, I, I did see it at the time as a prima donna thing where just, let's just do this and he would complain and say no i i don't feel like doing that and and in fact you know several times we're working on specific tricks wire tricks or whatever and he would say but i don't know how to do that and i'd say okay i'm going to teach you how to do that that's why i'm here that's my job uh we're not just going to throw you around so i want you to do this and this and this and this and then because i had taught gymnastics and martial arts progressionally I taught him the different parts of things and then he did it and he would do it perfectly and then I'd say yes let's do that again he go but I still don't know what I'm doing and I was like does it really matter if I'm standing here telling you what to do and you did it it doesn't matter if you know if you think you know what you're doing or not you did it and we could film that with you doing it so is it a method thing then it, it might be. Could yeah. be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm just curious. It really wasn't bad mouthing. It's more of me just discerning. And like I said, is it a method actor? I don't understand why I need to go to X to Z. Does it make any sense? But Spider-Man needs to hit that spot because it looks really cool on film. It could be. It could be intimidation, too. It could be, right. you know, he was scared to... And he was, honestly smaller than spider-man which he, he's supposed to be peter parker's is supposed to be f at least the explanation was toby's five seven spider-man's five ten and they want spider-man to look big and ripped and jacked so necessarily you know you're not going to get toby to that point and still make him look like a, a dweeb as peter parker you know it's a dichotomy mm -hmm. and you just got to roll with that so yeah. Sorry, so, sorry to, go ahead. Sorry to the other two boneheads. I've taken up most yeah. of the questions. I, I actually, I wanted to ask a question because we recently interviewed some other people that have worked on uh, this particular film and, and they talked about how the film itself may have been cursed. And that's the movie Cursed. You did the yeah. stunt work for that. And uh, as we were told, there were several different times that film was 
filmed and reshot and all that. So I wanted to know the stunt works out of that. And Joe, you've well, I just want him to know that Patrick Lussier, who edited the film, he was Wes Craven's editor. He went on to become a director. He directed Dracula 2000 and Drive Angry and, and My Bloody Valentine's a very nice guy. But for some odd reason, we didn't even have it in the list and of things that we want to ask him. He was just on the show a few weeks ago, and we just got a great 30 minutes, gentlemen, of what, how many times and what all was shot. And as an editor, he saw all of it, of Cursed. So – Please, would you like to talk about your experience? I had very minimal experience on that show. Uh, once again, same stunt coordinator, Dan Bradley, brought me on board. And I literally spent like two days uh, testing the, the werewolf, running on the ceiling things, uh, being on a wire, um, getting down the general movements. And then... I didn't know what happened beyond that. It, it sounded like politics were coming into it again. And I wasn't called back for any legitimate, sh yeah. any real shooting. So I was basically a, a test monkey on that one or test werewolf. So I, I did establish a lot of the, the movement that they liked. So it was, it was, you know, a test. So did you work with, um, did you work with Rick Baker when he was doing the werewolf or was it with KMB when they did the werewolf for the second, when they went back to reshoot the movie? Uh, I don't know. None of those were, it was, it was all stunts at the time. It was okay. not in costuming and wardrobe and stuff like that. It was all just testing and uh, filming, filming the tests to show and to get approval for the stunt work, which, I don't know how it even turned out after that because the whole thing seemed to just fade away after right after that. Right. So, so you talked about and you alluded to this with this working with Toby McGuire on Spider-Man, but just uh, for those of us that I, I have never thrown myself down a flight of stairs or done any stunt intentionally, uh, um, what what is uh, stunt training? So you've got a lot of credits for stunt training. Obviously, Toby training Toby McGuire. You also uh, or listed as a stunt trainer for the matrix what all does that entail uh the, are you working directly with the quote-unquote named actors to, be, to get them ready to do scenes and what does that kind of mean yes um it, it entails a lot of different things uh which which i like because having my varied background in martial arts gymnastics uh clowning circus stuff uh, every, everything that I, I dance, everything that I'd done prior to this, my stunt work kind of, kind of gelled on, uh, you know, into, into my life now and, you know, everything that I've worked on at when the matrix came up, I was hired, uh, as the gymnastics trainer for Lawrence Fishburne and, um, they called me up to a, a, through the gymnastics that I was teaching, uh, called me up to a warehouse, North Hollywood. Uh, I showed up there and, and uh, Fish, he, he always had me call him Fish. Said, really? Oh, Seriously? Yeah. That's what he wants to be called? I've never heard that before. Yeah. 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 Uh, he said, let's go to lunch. And I went, okay. So he said, I, the particulars on, on the movie were, of course, it was choreographed by Wen Wo Ping, 
and his whole team, none of which spoke English at all. They're all Chinese. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, I I am seeing what they're doing. I don't know how to do it. Fish told me, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. So before they get to to work with me, I want to make sure that I can physically move properly. I have some good moves under, under my belt and I know how, you know, to keep myself safe before we get into this heavy duty choreography and wire work and stuff like that. So I said, yeah, no problem. So we started working on gymnastics. We worked on uh, some martial arts, you know, throwing kicks and punches, falling, rolling. That's the first thing that I, that I will teach anybody, whether they're an actor or a, a stunt person, I'll teach them how to fall down correctly, that they're not going to injure themselves. Uh, so that was, that was part of the, the training with, with Lawrence to start off with. And then I didn't even know what it was for. We got into, into the production or pre-production and I looked at the storyboards and I went, wow, this is like Hong Kong stuff the choreography itself. And he said, yeah, that's the Hong Kong choreographer. And I went, okay, now it's all making sense. And then, then they started pulling out the wires and they started getting Carrie Ann up on the wire moves and you know, they, they, uh, all, all those things. And then Keanu came in, we started working choreography and I wasn't training Keanu, but he, you know, he was standing right next to me working, working a fight scene with, the choreographers while I was working with fish over here and Carrie Ann is, you know, they're pulling her up on the wires. And a lot of times I would, I would just invite Lawrence down to my gymnastics place because, you know, he wanted to make sure he was safe. So we would be working on the gymnastics floor instead of working in a, a, in a dirty warehouse. So, you know, sometimes I wouldn't even see the rest of the cast, but when we were working there, I realized, you know, they were doing the wire work, which we, we weren't really accustomed to here in, in the States at that time. And I went, this is very similar to the spotting that we do in gymnastics on trampoline and on bars and stuff like that with the, with the cables. And so then when, when they would put the actors on the wires, sometimes the actors would say, Tim, what, what do you think they're, they want me to do here? you know, Carrie Ann gets up into this pose. And I said, no, more fingers like this and, you know, pull your knee up higher. So I was translating physically and, and, you know, kind of guiding the actors into poses and movements that the, these high level choreographers couldn't really translate at the time, you know, even though they're so adept when they come up with this stuff, if they'd been working in Hong Kong with their people, it would have been a breeze. But working with American actors was a whole different ball of wax. So, like, so back on the Matrix, I mean, to my knowledge, this was in in terms of American cinema. This is probably the first. It was the first of its kind, and you know, it actually changed big big budget blockbusters pretty much for good after that. That was one of those defining moments in history. Was the Matrix? I mean, did you have that sense when you were on the film working on it? Uh, no, I thought it was a one-off kind of thing that <laughs> it w- wouldn't work. In fact, several times, I think three times, uh, I would be working with the actors and then I'd get a call 
saying oh, we, we lost funding, so we're, we're stopping training, so the movie's dumped. So we would stop for a couple of weeks, and then they would call me back up. Hey, we need to train again. I'm like, okay, it's back on. All right. So I would go back to training. You know, this went on for several months. So they, they did actually get in probably a good four to six months of pre-training, which was great. Uh, and that really showed in the, the production itself. And it got them really accustomed to, to what was going on. I think if, if it hadn't, you know, they hadn't had time to process that, I think it wouldn't have been as spectacular and the, the actors right. wouldn't have been as comfortable doing what they had to do if there wasn't more time to train and more time to really insert themselves into, into what they were doing. See, my question, I, th I thought that would be more of a challenge because if they're, you're, you're training them and then all of a sudden they have to take two, three weeks off before they can actually, you know, do it again. I mean, does, do, does it kind of have to, is there like a learning curve there where you have to keep going back and revisiting it? Um, a little bit, which, which is smart anyway, but I've found, and I, t I tell students this all the time, when you're first learning a skill, you're going to mess it up. You're going to mess it up. You're going to mess it up. And then it, because it, what we want in, in stuff like this, martial arts, gymnastics, anything that is so high level movement or wire work, you have to get to a point where your muscle memory kicks in. Right. And in gymnastics, things like that, we train, we train, we train. And, and even in stunts, when I'm training somebody, I tell people, you know, if, if, they haven't, if they've been gone for a couple of weeks or even a month, when they come back, their body is going to remember it and it's actually going to be acclimated and they're going to be much more relaxed by the, by the time they get back. Even though it may be, seem a little foreign, their body understands part of it at least. So then we can step it up a level. We can move up physically and, and make a progression beyond what they've already learned. So that is actually a really, really nice uh, progressional platform to to work on is is a little time off after you've really worked hard and your brain is able to process things it, it i think it helps a lot and when you're under the pressure especially if if we're on set nowadays what happens is if you put an actor in that position where they've had a really brief course of of learning how to do something physical and they, they have it, you know they have it, okay, we're ready to shoot. When the pressure is on and the cameras are rolling and there's a crew of 50 people standing there and the lights are on and you're wearing wardrobe and you have different shoes on and this binds and the weapons are real now and you have to say lines and you have to stay in character, it's a whole different thing than, and, and then you blow it and then you have to cut and then you freeze up. if it's not in your body. And gotcha. like I said, like I said, if, if you haven't gotten to that point where at least part of what you're doing is muscle memory, then it's going to be very difficult. Uh, like martial artists, you know, we, as, as stunt people, it's good to be a martial artist, even though we're not always using martial arts in, in fight scenes, because we know that our body's going to somewhat go back to that, standby mode that the discipline yeah exactly the discipline of it so it's, it's going to kick in even though we're rusty it's it's going to kick back in and 
parts of it will be familiar to our body, if not our brain, you know, because our brain will have way too much to ingest at the, at the time on the day when we're filming. It's just overload, constant overload. So. Well, that was actually one of the questions I want to have because you, I, I am a huge Star Trek fan. Uh, and oh, and I know you, uh, shut up, Chad. Uh, <laughs> I know you were in Star Trek Enterprise. You played, you got to play Enterprise? Listen, equal to Enterprise? Yeah, it was. Uh, listen, I, I'm bad at speech impediment still. Um, but you played a, a Solibon. You got to play a Vulcan commander. And obviously, you're in Picard uh, as somebody's stunt double. Uh, and he's fronting. He's fronting, by the way, Mr. Storms. All he talks about space truckers. Space yeah, truckers. Space truckers. Space that's, truckers. That's Best sci-fi movie ever made. Yes, space yes, truckers. Um, he's always telling us how Star Wars is superior. No, the, so um, I, the question I actually had was: as you think about stunts and 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 all that means, um, what do the costumes mean? Like, do you train in the costumes? Do you train, or or do you just adapt to yeah. the costumes? Because I think about so many uh, uh, stunt men. And, and stunt professionals, stunt women, uh, that, you know, they, they train, but then they get to sit and it's like, oh, by the way, put on this, you know, five pound backpack or, or whatever the costume requires. So does that impact the way you think about training and the way you prep? Uh, hugely, but unfortunately, we're almost never given those costumes, elements, yeah. costumes beforehand before we're asked to shoot. They want to keep them under wraps. They want to keep, you know, they, and they're working on them constantly. They're, they're, I've been in, in a in major scene before where the costumer comes up and says, we don't have this one piece, but that's not being shown right now. We don't have your boots ready yet. So they're not showing your feet anyway. So it doesn't really matter. Been in that situation many, many times. And as far as wear and tear, you don't want to beat up the costumes. So typically we don't train in wardrobe. Sometimes if we have particular movements, we're going to touch base with the, with the, we have to do fittings. So we're going to touch base with the, with the wardrobe people and say, Hey, do you think we could maybe alter these shoes this way or work on this collar this way because I know I'm going to have to do this and especially on Star Trek nowadays and other shows you know now that we're much more stunt heavy in, in Hollywood the wardrobe people are a little more savvy about oh are you going to have to wear a harness under this you know what what pads are you going to bring in and as a stunt person I have to be smart enough to go to my wardrobe fitting where with my stunt pads and say this is what i'm going to have on possibly on the day because i haven't been told exactly what i'm going to be doing but in case i need to fall on my back i'm probably going to have this this pad on i'm probably going to have these elbow pads on etc cetera, etc cetera. so uh we we try to you know it's always a give and take but we, we always try to work with what they've given us is there is there also a difference? I mean, I know to a certain extent, a stunt is a stunt. You prep for the stunt. But having worked on films and then doing television, is there a sense of a difference between how stunts are treated in films versus how they're in television? Or does it just vary by the film or the television show? It really varies. Um, the I've been blessed with a variety of different shows, but in general 
the films that I've worked on have been action movies. So the stunts are a little bit bigger. Not that often do you get the the same kind of budgets, sets, time. I would think of what time would be the biggest difference because you have to on a TV show to do it. It really depends. I mean, Star Trek is so big budget. We've been able to play with some really, really cool stunts and fight scenes and, and, you know, stuff that would be in a movie, in a big budget movie. So it really really depends on the show. I I also have to ask one question because you've stunt doubled uh, Patrick Stewart also in the film Logan. Yes. Uh, and, and, and I love that film. Uh, that film has a special place in my heart. Um, so I just wanted to... Name uh, is Space Truckers. Uh, yeah, thanks, Chad. Um, if you don't know what Space Truckers is, it's okay. It's an obscure <laughs> 90s science fiction film directed by Stuart Gordon. Google it later. It's got Dennis Hopper in it and Stephen Dorff there. Sorry. Hey, Dennis <laughs> Hopper and George Wendt playing off each other in one uh, scene. George Wendt from Cheers, that's right. Cheers, I love it. It's that's the only awesome. movie where they're both in it, so... <laughs> But no, I, I just uh, on on that film, um, just knowing that uh, that Hugh Jackman's last kind of appearance as, as Wolverine and things like that. Um, what sort of stunts? Because I've seen the movie several times, and I know Patrick Stewart has some uh, some some great scenes in that. What does the stunt work look like? That knowing that that character is in a wheelchair uh, throughout the film, and and kind of the back and forth of how that played out. Um, honestly, on that one, I didn't do a lot of stunts, but, um, there are particular times where you need to save the actor, especially an actor of, of Patrick's age, Sir Patrick Stewart. Uh, he, he, he always wants to get in there. He always wants to do his own thing. Uh, he wants to do the, the, the trip, the fall, the, the fight scene. He wants to do it all. He's so gung ho and he gets angry at me when he, you know, when I step in and, and I have to do a stunt and he's been that way from the beginning since I've known him because he wants to do his own stuff and bless him. He's, he's amazing. Um, but there, even, even if it wasn't Patrick Stewart, there would be times where you want to save the actor um, there are times where Wolverine is carrying uh, Professor X around downstairs and, you know, it's, it's a little too rigorous, even though uh, Patrick ended up doing a lot of that where, where he, Hugh Jackman was carrying him around for real. But when it came down to it, they would throw me into it and test it out. So sometimes it's testing. Sometimes I'm the guinea pig. And I've, done that. <laughs> I've done that for Patrick on a lot of very strange things where I think he can do it, but I'm not going to let him do it until I actually do it and I go, okay, that's good. Or no, that's going to be a little difficult. Even, even running, you know, if, if it's in a situation, I remember we were doing uh, a t- his TV show, Blunt Talk, which yeah. we did for a couple of seasons. And we were down in Venice in the middle, two in the morning, and he's having to run across one of the Venice Canal bridges and pretend he jumps off the bridge into a, a boat, a rowboat. 
and we're working through the stunt and it turned out it was just going to be a pontoon but Patrick wanted to do the running and Patrick wanted to pretend at least he wanted to actually go for the jump over the bridge and I went no way you're going to do that I'm going to test it and running out there I ran up and I put planted my foot on the on the the bridge on the railing and it was full of dew already and I slipped and almost wiped out he came up and he said, okay, I see your point here. So <laughs> there, there, was, there was another thing, you know, a, a gag on there where he's getting whipped with a, with a towel, you know, like, like in the shower. And, and uh, they, I, I said, I will definitely go to bat for him on that and, and uh, get snapped by the towel and get flagellated, you know, for being a bad boy. So I tested that out. We shot one with me and then I went, it's not a big deal. And Patrick jumped in. So there are, there are a lot of things on Wolverine. It's on uh, Logan. There were times where, uh, like I said, he's getting carried around by Hugh. He falls out of the wheelchair. That's definitely me falling out of the wheelchair. But there's also times where uh, the big chase scene, you know, in the back of the car mm -hmm. uh, on the freeway, that's mostly me. But there are other times too, like I said, you want to save your actor, whether that's physically or just the, the, the time, because the time constraints on, especially that scene in the, in the water tower where it's just Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart, which was amazing for me to just be sitting there with those two of my heroes, watching this scene again and again and again and watching the brilliance. And, you know, they wanted to send Patrick home to get some rest because we had to film very early another scene in the morning. So a lot of that stuff just over the shoulder of me, him sitting in the wheelchair is just me and, you know, the fall and, you know, getting, getting poked with the needle in the arm and it's my arm. And it's just, just for convenience for, for saving time for the, the actor, you know, it's safe. I, I want to comfort any uh, any future stuntman that would have to double me. I will let you f willingly take all the risk. I will yeah, look through right that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm fragile. I bruise like a peach. <laughs> I have a question. It's a two parter. One specifically, when you because you're much younger than Patrick, Sir Patrick. I, the body movements. The same age. Would you say we're the same age? Well, you look good, sir. Impressive. Uh, it, it is impressive. It's impressive. But as far as the movements of an older man, you know, so my friend Chad, who's here, as we said before, was watching The Irishman. And it's great on The Irishman that they, that they still, that they're able to do the great digital technology of making Robert De Niro younger. But I agree with Chad. Your critique was... Oh, so, you know, there's a scene where he goes into the, the, the shop to beat up the, the store owner for, for, and, you know, he's beating up the guy. And it's clearly, he's supposed to be 24 in that scene. And it's clearly a 70-year-old man beating the crap out of watch him. Watch so. him, even the de-aging does not help the way he walks. Right. It does not wait, it does not, his gait, who he is. You're still a 70 year old yeah, man uh, like uh, you know not to talk but you know when i first saw that movie i'm like oh he they called him kid that must be a joke because he's he's supposed to be in his 40s or something like that and then i did research on the movie afterwards because i was curious no he's in his 20s <laughs> so i'm curious how do you match that 
I, I love that question. Thank you for asking me that. I love it. This comes back to my, my training, classical theater, clowning, miming, gymnastics, all those dance, all those physical things. I love portraying Patrick Stewart being his characters. Right. And yeah, it seems so complicated. Yeah. I love to match his movement. So when I am his his character, when I get to be him briefly, I turn into, you know, I I I observe him all day long and sometimes it probably annoys him. But I watch how he moves and I I've had some great teachers, some amazing movement teachers that actually taught me how to observe the physical aspects of a character and how they move. And so that was my acting homework for from the very beginning since I started working with Patrick is learning how he moved, learning how he's going to move around and being able to move like him or elevating it just slightly to make him be able to do things that Patrick might not be able to do, but is not so out of the realm that you, you that it's believable, right? Right. That you're not just doing this, right? Still a 70 year old man. So in, in that aspect, I was, I'm, I am thrilled to be able to my first night on blunt talk, my first time doubling Patrick, uh, we had to do this big chase scene where cops are, are chasing him in a Hollywood alley. And, uh, he, a, a cop tries to tase him and he grabs the taser and has to tase, you know, the, one of the cops back and he runs up on top of the car, a Jaguar. And so studying him from that very beginning, what I did was I looked at the script and I memorized his lines as well. So when I when he got into the stunts and stuff, I was saying his lines, and the director and the producer all went, "What are you doing?" And I went, "I'm I'm getting into his character." And they went, "Keep doing that. Keep doing that. We can use all of that." So they, if I'm if I'm moving my mouth, if I'm saying his lines, if if I'm on the same rhythm, same cadence, the same, you know, style of movement that he's using it's going to be so much more beneficial. I've, I've always hated that too, where I could look at a film or a TV show and go, you know, when they turn it around and it's obviously somebody else doing the stunt for this person. Right. It's, it's, it's too obvious for me. And that's what I've always relished about, especially with Patrick, but every other job that I've done, I, I like to really get into the character. And I, like I said, maybe I annoy the, the, the actors that I'm doubling but I like to get into their character and really observe how they're moving and do things exactly how they were going to do them. So I look at the script. I try to memorize as best as possible. There were times on, on Picard even where, you know, they're doing an over the shoulder and I would do an entire scene with his co-actors saying his dialogue, even though, you know, if I had to paraphrase or whatever, but they loved it because I would do it in, British accent and try to do it, you know, as, as much as I could with as Sir Patrick. So, you know, my best, my de best imitation on the day would, would, 
you know, would sometimes impress people and it, it was great. It's, it's thrilling for me. And that, that to me makes up for a lot of the times when I actually have to fall down and bleed on the concrete and get hit is I'm still doing an acting role, whether I'm right. saying the lines or not, I'm still physically portraying that character, Absolutely. whether, whether somebody else is or not. And honestly, I've been in this situation many times where people come up to me and say, you're doing this better than the actor is doing it. Why aren't you playing this role? <laughs> I went, well, I, I, I like to rely on my, you know, I like to do that too. I'm, I'm an actor as well. So I love doing that. And in the beginning, I, I would only take stunt roles if they were acting roles as well. I, would, I refused to double people until I started getting into the realm of J.K. Simmons and Sir Patrick Stewart and right. people like that. And I went, yeah, I, I like to double people like that too. So that's a thrill for me. I can't imagine the amount of, of ed the education that you've got just being there with them and being in the room with them and doubling them. The, um, the, how that has, has just helped you grow as an artist. J.K. Yes. Simmons. Yes. I mean, as much as I love Sir Patrick. Yes. J.K. is one of those great character actors that will elevate any piece, even if he's in a piece of shit. While he's in that piece of shit, he is the yeah. best thing on the screen. Yes, I agree. Uh, and that was... Exactly as you said, it's such a, a an education when it comes right. to that. Especially, we did uh, my, my first show with him was Counterpart, mm -hmm. uh, where he was playing multiple. He was playing himself in a different from a different dimension. Mm -hmm. So he would have to go back and forth. And especially if we're doing fight scenes, he had a, he had a, uh, a stand-in double as well, but. If we were doing anything physical, I would be there being one of those two characters of him. So it, it was really, that was definitely an education learning how to, how he would change himself to be the other character, how they move differently. And I would try to observe that and I would ask him, how's, you know, what's, what's your center here? And he, he didn't want to communicate a lot of times, you know, he was in his process but I was pretty physical and I would, you know, I, I understood what he was doing and I doubled several people by that time. So I, you know, I knew how I wanted to approach it and it was, that was, that was a great experience. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I get that he's in his process. He's in that moment and it's hard to take himself out of that moment and explain right. all of that to you. Things that he's no way probably even capable of verbalizing definitely definitely yeah. but like i said luckily i come from the background that i come from and i've mm -hmm. been trained by some amazing people to be observant about things and even everything like i said gels together even coming from a dance background and martial arts background i'm used to looking at if if i'm if I, i'm in a real fight i'm i'm watching somebody's hips move i'm not watching their eyes i'm not watching their shoulders right. i'm going to watch their hips move if i'm if and that just comes from martial arts and observing how people move physically like that is is such a such a blessing for me to have been trained in those those aspects and varying aspects that i can look at different 
sides of, of a character and actually a real person to see what their motivations are and kind of read their motivations when, like you said, they may not even be able to express those things. Express it. They can't even tell you what that is. It's just a feel. And when you're at that level yeah. of an art, if you're at that artistry, then it's so yep. hard and you've been doing it for 40, 50, 60 years, maybe, you know, it's a yeah. long time to be able to just explore. Well, I'm here. I know where I'm at. I am this yep. as a professional. I just, I, and I, I was, I, I know that are my bonehead, the other friends have just one bonehead exclusive. Tell us right now, truly, how big of an asshole is Mr. Picard? I mean, uh, uh, Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Patrick Stewart? Sir Patrick, I've never heard anyone tell us a bad story about him. Sir Patrick is a, a, a negative 25% asshole. He is the most giving, most kind, caring, wonderful man i love it i i actually am thrilled because not during this time but um before we were even wrapped on picard uh i became his personal trainer so i go over to his house a couple of times a week and i won't give anything away no spoilers but um trying to get him in shape both for the actor himself, because he's 80 years old and losing weight for, for different roles, especially uh, Logan, he lost 20 pounds. Wow. Over 20 pounds. I lost 18 pounds to match him, and I was wiped out. That wiped him out. Coming back into Picard, he wanted to look emaciated, so he lost a lot of weight to do that. And I've been watching it, by the way, and I was thinking, I was sitting there going, you know, you will see him on, let's say Graham Norton. He does Graham Norton quite a bit if you get the BBC and BBC America. Yeah. And he'll be on Graham Norton. I was, no, he's, always, he's not hefty and he's always very trim and fit. But I was watching Picard the other day and I couldn't stop looking at his jawline of just how thin and close it was. And I thought, is he, he just. He dieted it's down. It's, it's a, it was a character choice for him and he wanted. He specifically wanted that emaciated, drawn-in look, so he was... It's he, tough. It's, yeah, it, it was horrible. It's horrible for actors to do that, but it's immaculate. You know, it's like Christian Bale there, and especially at his age, it gets harder and harder and harder. So now we're to the point where we can make some changes, and... Even I was feeling it at I'm 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 53 years old, but you do not I, look 53. Thank you. You're welcome. I I Joe I, looks 53. I look 53. I'm I'm 42, but this fat bastard <laughs> oh, looks well. 53. So keep going. Well, luckily, knock on wood, I've been able to you know maintain it just due to my, the the nature of my work and right. how I teach and everything else, but. Now uh, with with Sir Patrick, we're in a position where, and he he said, "I I really want to get ripped now." And his wife said, "I want I want you to pack on some muscle for him." Because <laughs> sorry, I have to laugh. That was pretty good. Yeah, can you can you make him a little hunkier for me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, and I wanted that myself because I could feel myself especially doing stunts, I didn't have to do a lot of stunts, but every time I would fall down for him, 
or you know just do physical things it would be like all of it i have nothing to fall on anymore and i like i said i like to keep in shape but i'm i'm still at about seven percent body fat and when when i'm in this condition i i have no padding on me it's it it hurts to fall down and with with patrick too it's you need muscle to function. You're going to, you're going to function a lot better. You're going to, you're going to be much healthier. You're going to ward off diabetes. You're going to ward off all, you know, heart disease, blah, blah, blah. It's totally into, uh, you know, fitness hacks and things like that. And having, having my background in training and everything else, I I liked, I like fitness. I like nutrition, things like that. So I'm always advising him on, what to eat he's got to bump up his protein more and you know etc etc you just physically and it's amazing getting him back to the point where the man is just a beast doing you know and he's he's got some injuries he's he injured his shoulder doing moby dick years and years ago totally ripped his shoulder out but getting back to the stuff that we've been doing full body weight exercises doing chin-ups I got him doing, I think, three chin-ups in a row um, at 80 years old. Um, Incredible. We've been boxing. He loves it, you know. It's amazing. The man is a beast. And it's it's all I can do to hold him back. And I, I know he wants to do it for the fight scenes and everything that we have. But it also gets him in shape so he can handle the rigors of shooting where a lot of people don't realize – when you're the title character, when you are Picard, you're there every day. You're you're on set all the time. Even though they they did their best, production did a great job of giving him a day off a week during the week. But you know, for sometimes five days a week, he would be there all day long from morning to night, shooting, filming, nonstop. And it's, it's, it takes its toll. It really does. Yeah. Well, I, I, I want to say, and uh, I, I am a big Star Trek fan. Yes. Space truck. Uh, but I, I want to say the, uh, I was going to say space what, Rangers this time. Jerk face. Okay. But, but what you, what you all created there, uh, I, I, I just appreciate it. I, I've been a Star Trek fan. My father introduced me to Star Trek, the original series when I was three uh, he didn't know I'd take it to the extremes that I've taken it in my life, but it has been, uh, I, I think we're seeing a renaissance in, in, in that franchise between Discovery and Picard. And, and I think Picard has humanized that character. And, and I love the character before, but there is something about, you know, I, I think that show speaks to the times we're in now in some ways. And I appreciate everything that, Everybody I'm not done with it. Don't get even any spoilers while you're kissing his ass. Hold on. Don't give any spoilers away. <laughs> I, I agree with you completely. And I think that uh, what this show does, for me anyway, I've, I've always been a big Trek fan too. I love Star Wars as well. So getting that out there. But not the recent ones. Sorry. That's okay. But, that, 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 that last Rise of the Skywalker is uh, almost a piece I of I haven't it. seen it yet. It comes out on Disney Plus three days from now. Then we can talk about it. <laughs> Don't bother. I think, I think Actually, the Mandalorian I is. I think the Mandalorian is is going to save it. And oh yeah, I agree. Yeah. Oh yeah, no question. The people that do that, you know, John Favreau and his 
people will will save Star Wars, hopefully. And but, John Wayne's grandson. Yeah, yeah. But I've I've, I've been a, a Trek fan for a long time too, since I was a little kid, and I've loved the original series. Thrilled to death to be on Enterprise. Uh, Next Generation was was my second favorite, and especially with Picard. Um, it was always it was always nice to see such a stoic, amazing figure, a so, so cerebral figure of Picard. But now, I didn't know how I uh, how I was going to react to it when I when I first saw uh, what I saw of of the script and stuff. Even though they were so hush hush about it yeah. through the entire process. I didn't know what was going on, but just seeing the, the characterization that Sir Patrick was giving Picard now brought a humanity to a character that sometimes you didn't care about before. And if they had done this as a um, the same the same way that they did before, the serial episodes, episodic where Mm-hmm. everything is different and they come into a new situation every time that works just fine where you know you, you can delve into the characters a little bit more and see here and there a glimpse of that the facade that each of those characters has and you, you can delve into those a little bit more but when you have a story like this that's more of a movie yeah. that's 10 episodes continuous if you don't give that character foibles nobody's gonna give a crap at all i don't care about superman at all because for the most part he's invulnerable i don't care if he gets beat up you have to jackie chan is brilliant that way when he gets punched or if he punches somebody he hurts himself that's what you want to see that's what to me good uh drama comedy everything is about any any kind of storytelling is about uh the underdog and overcoming something and overcoming the foibles of a character and the bigger those challenges are the slower the progress has to be it can't if if every single time the the hero wins the day you get a little bored with that yeah well, so uh- I think the uh, I think the the I knew I was in for a ride from and Joe I know you've hopefully at least seen this uh, episode. I saw the first five six episodes you're fine you're fine because it, that when hold Star- on hold on. let me do this yes please do and when now Star- I can't hear a word you're saying so somebody give me a thumbs up when I can put these back in what about the <laughs> at home but- but Starfleet's <laughs> not Starfleet anymore. That line, because I think that's such a brilliant, and I think it is kind of a mirror of, I, we, we all grow up and we think, oh, this is the ideal. If I get this, and, and just in the spot where I am in my life and all that stuff, I saw that line and I was like, how many of those moments have I had? And of course, Patrick Stewart does it much better than I do. But, uh, no, no, you were no. great. I love the delivery of the gravitas. It was just... Yeah. Thank you, Joe. Uh, but I, I think that, so I, I just want to say, I mean, that you're part of something that has just reinvigorated and I never stopped being a fan, but now I'm like, well, okay, when's, when's season two? Let's get this on. I need, I need something to do. I'm saying too. It's awesome. Well, and 
uh, I, I know, and, and I don't want to. I want to be cautious of time because you've been gracious. Obviously not, because us. you're still kissing. His um, head, which I'm sure. No, I, I wanted to say. I wanted to say. I oh, he's got. He's got his. Uh, his uh, Friday watching of space truckers to come. <laughs> so he's gonna. <laughs> I believe. I believe. Uh, <laughs> I swear to God, you should. Have you? If you've not seen it, Tim, you've. Got go out and see it now and just find I, it. I'm definitely going to watch it. I think I've seen it a long time ago. But You have not missed much, but now you're just going to go, who are those assholes in Kentucky that kept <laughs> talking about this obscure film? <laughs> but speaking speaking of the fandom of Star Trek, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you, you are going to be on the other side of that. You, if, if things happen as they should, you will be in Las Vegas at the Star Trek convention. Is that correct? If it happens, yeah, I was slated to that. That kind of uh, blew me out of the water too. I was approached, and my my agent had been telling me this that she had she knew somebody, and I went, really? That does Star Trek conventions? Okay. And then actually talking to, uh, not not Sir Patrick per se because he he doesn't tend to do a lot of those. But Jonathan Frakes, uh, who directed nicest guy, by the way, yes, wonderful. That's how we got our start. That's how we started doing a lot of this. Other than we used to make short films, is that I moderate for a lot of conventions, and Frakes Uh is one of the just premium people I have. And mo- and by the way, this Amazing. is thing I tell people all the time: stars are like anybody else. Ninety percent of them are fine. About ten percent of them are assholes. Yep. You think that's accurate? I always say that's accurate because I always get asked about all the different people I've met and talked to. I was like, no, 90, 80% fine. But Frank, yep. he has a halo. My son had just been born when we did it two or three years, and he just made so much. He was just so sweet to my son behind the stage before we got up, and I brought him up. and did. I, I, it's one of the nicest people I've ever met. So I, I, I actually I wouldn't, I wouldn't believe a story where someone said he was an asshole. I couldn't believe it. Because- he never was, and in fact – when he was directing you it, there was a palpable joy on the set yeah, and when he was that. when he was in the episode there was a palpable joy on set it was everybody would come to work so happy and marina Sirtis the same way yeah. um it, but directing especially jonathan would come in and everybody would light up and he would he would engage engage he would engage <laughs> but every, everybody on the set from the you know the lowest pa to to the the director or the the producers to everybody he would be there with everybody and he would joke with you and just share and invigorate everybody he was he was brilliant that way and in fact when his tenure was up directing the the couple episodes he did everybody was just so morose even though we got another great director in and we were all thrilled uh but it, it was kind of a kind of a letdown to start out with it was like oh but then you know he showed up and he's in the next episode of course so it was it was a saving grace that way. Marina Sirtis is the same way. She is so giving and kind and uh, just a joy to work with. And I I was once again thrilled to be able to do scenes with, you know, reading 
Sir Patrick's parts opposite these alumni from from next generation and I was like oh this is I was geeking out big time you know even more when it, a couple of days Worf showed up uh, Michael Dornan and uh -huh. and uh, Jordy LaForge showed up and it was a, a big homecoming for them and I was kind of like oh wow hi <laughs> you know it's that was even though I'd known Sir Patrick for a long time it was like Okay, now it's now it's all gelling together. Yeah, yeah. He's Picard, he's Picard now, completely to me, you know. So that was really really cool. But going back to interrupt, so sorry. No, I I am rambling. But going no, back to the original question about the the uh, uh, conventions, I was just approached and I was asked to do a couple of different conventions, and I went, really? What I I've been doing Star Trek, but what could I bring to the table? And I was told you played, I, I was on several arcs of, I was on the pilot episode of, of Enterprise as a Sulaban. I was, uh, I did a lot of stunts. I played characters, so I was on screen a lot. Uh, you, I'm pretty recognizable in that. Plus I played Vulc uh, a Vulcan commando in, in an, a full arc of, of episodes uh and now doubling sir patrick so I, I i do bring a lot to the table i guess when it comes to trekkies wanting to meet people that have been on the show uh, uh, the reason that i wanted to a give a plug you you all should go meet him if you're listening to this and you yeah, can please. please go um because one of the when i was younger one of the first people i got to meet um was Bobby Clark who played the oh, Gorn, awesome. and and I I'll never forget because he literally just came up and 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 started talking to me and, and and was nothing but kind and all that stuff. And then it was like two minutes later, I'm like, wait, the Gorn just <laughs> and you know was so I, I want to say one of the reasons we love to talk to people who do stunts and all that stuff is because you all are so essential to the stuff that we love. I mean, I think the the behind the scenes stuff, the, the prop builders, the, and, and obviously not to take away from Sir Patrick Stewart. Uh, <laughs> he seems to be doing okay. Uh, but I, uh, I, I just wanted to say uh, thank you for everything that you've done. And, and I'm glad that uh, hopefully fans uh, um, welcome you because I think that's such a big part of what we love. So thank you for being willing to meet fans. We apologize in advance. Tim, thank now you. that he's done kissing your ass for the third time, you are right. going when it does happen. I, I need to stand up for this a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you do. Hey, you thought that goat was a freak. Wait, <laughs> wait till you get Dr. Thomas. And by the uh, way, if you're listening to this episode going, what's he talking about a goat? Oh, we had a conversation before we started recording. Real quick, just out of, out of I never got convicted. Now, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> you are convicted. going to have a blast at the con. You're going to have a great time. But remember, uh, Trekkies are like any other nerdy fan, <laughs> just like they are. They uh, just like the, we were just talking about movie stars, 80 or 90 percent of them completely normal. Now, you just have to be prepared for that 10 to 20 percent because you're going to meet those sons of bitches and they are a little <laughs> odd. And all stereotypes are based in a nugget of truth. And if I, any yeah. of them ask you about Bruno the Kid, remember, I did it first. All right. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I, I it's it's still strange for me but i you know i'll get 
fan, I used to get fan mail from around the world, you know, physical letters. And I was just stunned. I was stunned by that. It's like, could you send me a picture? Okay, sure. And then I, it turned into emails and, you know, I get, I get hit up a couple times a week on Instagram or, or Twitter or Facebook, whatever thing. I, I loved your, this movie that you were in and you know, they'll, they'll, they'll send me screenshots of myself in, in a, in a film or something. And it's like, okay, great. You're going to love it. You really are. You're going to have a blast with the fans. I, I promise they're, they're great. We love doing the conventions as far as being on the stage. It, it's, you're going to have a good time and you're going to be able to tell them some of those great stories that you just told us. And they're going to laugh their ass off and enjoy it the whole time. Awesome. Yeah, it's and kind of a love fest. It's, it's all about the community there. People yeah. return for the community. Yeah. And speaking of uh, responding to things, thank you for taking our crazy request to do our show and yeah. responding to it. Thank you of very course. much. Thank you. Thanks for this has me. been an absolute blast. Thank you. Are we done already? Well, you I'm honestly, I don't know if you noticed, but look down. You've been talking for over an hour and a half. Oh, my God. I tend to ramble. No, oh, no. This, no, is this was not rambling. This was, by will, the way, right. we will lovingly have you back on to he talk about it. But look. But before we go, I want to ask, is there anything that you've got coming out that you want to talk about? Um, I have. A, or that you can talk about, too. I understand. I, I, well, it, the next thing I'm actually slated for is Picard again. Yeah. But uh, once Hollywood opens back up, knock on wood, everything. Well, the three out. of us are usually in the same room when we're talking to sure. people. Sure. <laughs> I actually have a kid's web series that I wrote years and years ago. And I, a friend of mine plugged it to Nickelodeon and they were all set to go. It's a, it, it, I, fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Captain fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, and I just wrote that at, at, not as a whim, but I was doing the character for birthday parties and he was this bumbling clumsy mm -hmm. uh superhero that had great powers but uh, i wanted to i wanted to do a series or or a movie or something at the time and so i, I wrote this spec script and nickelodeon was all set to go and after the the plug they started giving me some feedback and then all of a sudden uh all the people that were interested in it got fired from their places so it if was we all had a quarter for every time we have heard that story yep so it went years and years and years and finally i got an iphone and i got a camera and i shot some things of my own and i was well inundated in the business and i said you know i i i'm still teaching I, I, I love teaching kids and I, I want to impart some fun, some knowledge. I want to do my own thing because I, I'd been stuck in a rut for a while, you know, just doing stunts. And I said, I, I want to I revamp this. So I rewrote it. I went to a couple of friends and I said, what do you think about this? And it's, everything that I wanted, that I believed in. Uh, I, it was a superhero thing, which I've, I've always loved superheroes, all the Marvel stuff. And I love being involved in all those things. 
fitness and health and comedy. So those have always been my, my go-to kind of things. And I revamped it and I brought on board a, a friend of mine and we rewrote, we rewrote. And it was a little stop start to begin with because I did everything from the beginning. I made the costumes, I made all the props, I brought in friends, I directed it, I, I did everything, you know, got all the lights. So it was, it was kind of a mishmash to start off with, but we're actually getting some, some footage now, some, some good stuff. We've got a YouTube channel and we're actually, we've got two episodes out now and we've just written, we've got three or four really, really good ones in the bank right now that I'm waiting to film once we are able to break out. And I've actually got a few major players that have expressed some interest and I'm writing cameos for certain people that I think would be amazing and funny and brilliant in this show. And I think it's, it's a fun YouTube channel and it's, you know, they're very short little, little segments, three to five minutes, but it's fun. So that's, that's what I'm doing right now. Captain Fitastic. Absolutely. We will pimp that out with the show. Thank, Thank you guys. so much for your time. I hope this, I always say this at the end, I probably should stop saying this. We're 130 some episodes in, but I hope this doesn't suck as bad as you thought it would. <laughs> it was amazing. Congrats guys. But we usually do get that. We usually get an hour that people are like, oh yeah, or I'll, we'll have someone. We, and it was a great episode working two years to get them to. And we uh, finally got them a few weeks ago because actually this is bit COVID's bad, but it's been, there's been a couple of people that we've been able to get like yourself who don't have, would have be working. And yeah. they're like, oh yeah, I've got a hard out at 30 minutes and then 30 minutes. God, we can talk a little longer. Yeah. <laughs> What do I have going on now? Right, oh, right, I, got, right. I got to do my hair tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, seriously, we, we would love to have you back yes, on. Talk more about love Captain Fantastic. Talk more about uh, Picard Season 2. You can spoil it all for Joe whenever hey. you want. That would be great. I, I love how I'm being left out of this whole thing. I'm just, it, <laughs> well, I'm if you to, had more to contribute, Chad. I'm trying to remind you of your childhood, Chad. Grrrr. <laughs>